Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and thanks for joining us today. I'm about to share with you a conversation that I recently had with Justine Lee. Justine is the executive director of Living Room Conversations, and she's also the co-creator of Make America Dinner Again, or MADA. We will talk about both organizations during our discussion, but the reason we wanted Justine to be on the podcast is that she is someone who comes from a for-profit background, as many of you in our audience are working in the for-profit world. And as she will describe in our conversation, she has moved from that to a role as a nonprofit leader who is focused on encouraging productive discussion among people who disagree. And I think Justine not only is a leader in this field, uh, she is, as I said, the executive director at Living Room Conversations, but she's also on the board of the Bridge Alliance, of which we're members. Uh, But she's also constantly thinking about this, and you'll hear that in her discussion. She's someone who, who saw this as a vital part of making sure that our country is healthy and who looked at her life and said, there are people who have very different opinions than I do, and I don't know them, and I don't know enough about them, and how do I resolve that? That led to what is now a career. And you're going to hear in our conversation the kind of inspiration uh, and creativity that she brings to this. So I think you're going to get a lot of really valuable tips as part of our conversation. Justine's work with Make America Dinner Again has been covered extensively in the press, in the worldwide press. It's been featured on the BBC and The Guardian. Uh, She has had articles published, opinions published in USA Today. And she is constantly working and thinking about how to do what she's doing better and more effectively. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. First, I want to welcome you, Justine, for being here because I know you are super, super busy and we'll get into some of the details of that and what you're busy doing. But, you know, one of the reasons um, I was really excited to have you on the show is because we we have worked together in the past, but, you know, your life has changed in the interim. And I want to step back even a couple of years before that, because the people in our audience, like, you know, they're interested in having really productive conversations with people, whether they agree or disagree about issues in their community. And I cannot think of anybody who's like a better role model for having done that, but not necessarily starting from the point of view, like, oh, this is going to be my career, even though in a lot of ways, like that's what it is now. So if you would, can we go back a few years, probably to like 2015, 16, maybe even, um, to what you were doing, um, you are now the executive director of Living Room Conversations, but what were you doing four or five years ago? This past year has felt like a, a lifetime. So thinking back four or five years. Like two lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, my sense of time has definitely been warped um, since the pandemic. But I do remember four or five years ago, I was in a place where I was in San Francisco. Um, I'm originally from the Bay Area, so I was not too far from my family and, and, and friends from growing up. And 
I was my my day job, my work was um, as in marketing at a design firm, and you know it was essentially um, part of my career that I was feeling like I might this might be where. I end up, I might just be doing marketing for, for the rest of my life. But I, I did always have a curiosity about uh, journalism because that was actually my original dream job um, as a kid. Um, but when I graduated in 2008 during the recession, I sort of had to pivot and take any job that I could get um, that yeah. basically was uh, – uh, would accept my degree in in writing and minor in business. So I just, I got a job in public relations, then got into marketing. I knew that the thing that really motivated me in life was understanding people and understanding yeah. how people relate to each other. Um, it was just something that I was thinking about almost all the time. I think that in 2016, I had been working at my marketing job for a few years and I wanted to, you know, tap into that uh, desire, that kind of inclination and, and, and gravitation towards understanding people and, and kind of going back to my, my interest in journalism yeah. and, and storytelling. And, and so I applied for a public radio fellowship um, and got accepted and decided this is, let me see how far I can take this. Um, it was a four-month fellowship over the, in the summer of 2016. I was able to produce, I was able to pitch, produce, um, and edit and uh, four stories in that time. And the stories were very much um, locally, you know, local stories about the community. And in doing research for these stories, I learned about how... Uh, the systems of local government and, and community and, and all the all the people that are involved in making a city um, and a town and society function. Um, it made me feel just, yeah, definitely more connected to San Francisco and the wider Bay Area. And so that was two, that was summer 2016. A month after the fellowship ended was the presidential election. You know, I definitely felt a lot of different things at that time. Um, I felt concerned about our future. I felt, you know, shock. Um, it was at the time I did not feel that this was something I could see that would uh, see coming. Um, and yeah, um, but I also felt motivated. Like I could see myself kind of dwelling on the more negative emotions that I was feeling, and I decided I wanted to pull myself out of that and uh, do something about it. I think that I'm naturally someone who likes to solve problems for myself and yeah. sometimes for other people, uh, whether they uh, ask for it or not. But I feel like, um, yeah, my, one of my first thoughts was I, I feel like I don't understand how this happened. I don't understand how um, half, you know, the country voted for Trump, but I want to better yeah. understand because what I've seen in this past election cycle is not just, you know, it, it, it isn't just about Trump and Hillary. I'm seeing that our country, people are not talking to each other anymore. They're talking at or yeah. over each other, but not with each other. And and that was yeah. just really palpable, like on social media, in, in friend circles, the way that people would talk about others 
I knew they weren't actually engaging with them. They were just making judgments, right? And, and criticisms. Yep. And there was just this feeling of distrust. And so I thought, well, have we ever tried just going back to the basics and being in a space in an environment where, okay, we have these set parameters. We're going to, you know, the goal is not to change minds, but instead to understand, just better understand each other, just hear each other out. And I thought, well, you know, most people right now, things are kind of tense. I don't know if I could expect anyone to just walk into a situation like, you know, like this, especially with a group of strangers, what, how do I get them to show up? And I thought, well, food, (laughs) people like to eat, people need to eat. Um, I loved cooking. I loved gathering people over meals. So it just felt like a, a, a good natural fit for me. So I think this is, I mean, I think this is why one of the reasons you are such a remarkable person, in my opinion. So, I mean, your point about this being, you know, a year ago in the pandemic seems like a long time. 2016 seems like, you know, eons ago. We now have in the interim, you know, we've had what happened on January 6th. You know, um, we've had all kinds of back and forth about the pandemic and everything else. If we go back to 2016 and think, yeah, just how bad things were then, even in sort of public discourse. I think a lot of people can relate to the piece about, wow, what happened in the 2016 election, one way or the other, right? Whether they're on the right or the left. And I think for a lot of people, that's, okay, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to be unhappy about what's happened. Um, I don't, you know, I may not feel like I know people who feel strongly differently than me, but for a lot of people, that's where it ends. And you, you decided like, I got to do something, right? And it's not just, I've got to do something and I am going to, you know, make this, I'm going to do something, some grand scheme or whatever. You thought, let's just get people together over dinner. Like that's enough of a stretch for a lot of people. So even there, I think some people would say, okay, I can see that, you know, that sounds okay. I might call some friends I know. They might not be totally different than me in their political opinions, but they might be more radical or a little bit further left or right than me. That's not what you did exactly. Like you and you and a friend got together and you didn't say, let's get people we know really well to come over and have dinner together. You said, let's get people we don't know to come over and have dinner, right? Yes. That's exactly right. (laughs) You know, being in San Francisco, which is, um, which does tend to lean left. um, It was, it was a challenge for us to find folks who voted for Trump or who supported Trump, but we were able to in the end. So we had to, it was just a matter of um, making that ask to our, our social circles, um, folks we worked with, friends of friends, and then it slowly kind of extended. And we were in, in a few months time, in a couple months time, we were able to find four Trump supporters, four Hillary voters. But I think it actually ended up, I think we also had a couple independents. Yeah, but they were they were strangers to each other. And they were mostly strangers to us. I think I had one colleague that participated, but otherwise, it was a group of people we had not you know, met before. And I actually think that, well, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I think it depends on the person. But with that group, at least, I think it was helpful that folks were, were strangers, did not yeah. know each other, because in a way they could say, okay, in this next hour, I will try to be 
on my best behavior, I will, um, I will follow and adhere to the conversation agreements. I will be respectful. I'll have an open mind. And then, you know, that's kind of it because I think that it can actually be challenge more challenging for people to have these types of conversations with their families or with people they know well, because there is that baggage and there is that kind of like, uh, the stakes are a little bit higher, but you know, but there is also this comfort level with people, you know, whereas with a group of strangers, you really don't know what you're getting. So it, it, it really, they're different situations, but I will say that, um, this group was very graceful and showing up with trying to put their 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 biases and, and some of that emotion from the election aside and really just show up with with the aim to to build understanding to hear each other out like I was saying before and I think that um, we did we did get lucky with this first group because I think afterwards Tria my friend and I we we felt, like, oh, this was really, this was a really powerful gathering. These were a powerful few hours together. Maybe we could do this again, you know? Let's let's see if there are more people who want to be a part of this. And you did. You <laughs> found more people. And, and you, I mean, you didn't go into that dinner, I assume, with the idea that you would start a network or an organization. But, but shortly thereafter, you put together more of these dinners and a group and a network across the country, Make America Dinner Again, which is very clever. Every time I talk to somebody about that, they're like, I love that. Because, but that was key because your subsequent conversations, not just the ones you were involved in, but where people across the country sort of picked up that idea, they always involved food together, right? Sitting down to a meal together. And in some cases, preparing the meal together. That's right. right. Yeah. We had a number of dinners where actually um, making the meal together was how we started things off. Um, And we had stations with um, tasks in um, steps of the recipe and we would pair people up and we did, we were, you know, thoughtful about who we paired. So we were pairing people who we knew ahead of time had, um, at least superficially had, um, had different political ideologies or different, um, allegiances. And, um, and it was just great to see, uh, observe people having fun, you know, slicing carrots, massaging kale together, mixing, you know, making us the the dressing for the salad and then getting to know each other in that way. We had some prompts, we had some questions, um, in front of them that they could ask each other, but we also just invited them to get to know each other more organically. And then once we sat down to the meal, it was really interesting to see people's faces as they realized like, oh, someone I just had this great conversation with sees, sees things a little differently than I do, or has a different, you know, has a different perspective that maybe makes me a little uncomfortable, but wow, like they had already had a bit of time to humanize each other. Um, so I think they, they, um, were able to sit down in the conversation with a more open mind and with like, um, I would say just, uh, good, good feelings about each other. So those dinners, especially I think were, were meaningful. Yeah. When we got to make, make a meal together, at the end of the day, I think what we, how people felt about these dinners was at the very least, I shared a meal with someone I would not have met otherwise. I learned a new perspective. Um, you know, yeah. we, we, we can't guarantee that the dinners will lead to some type of revelation or some type of action. We, we understand that everyone is going to have a different experience. People even show up with diff- like motivated in different ways. Um, you know, looking for different things. But I think that 
yeah, overall, we've just, you know, I, I think back on all the dinners that Tree and I and, and our um, network of volunteers organized over the past four plus years. It's just, it's incredible to think about it. It definitely warms my heart, um, especially after this past year, thinking about how people were really, uh, many people were, were seeking that connection during yeah. a a pretty isolating times for many. What are some of the kinds of prompts that you gave people at these? And, and I think this is, by the way, a really important point. You didn't start these dinners and you didn't continue to have these dinners with the idea that you were going to persuade people to believe the same thing that you did right. or that you were going to change people's opinions. It really was about trying to better understand different points of view, understand other people, and also to come together just as human beings, as opposed to, you know, um, social media accounts or people who are flattened into like, you know, you're on the left or you're on the right, or you believe this or that. It really was an environment that prompted understanding and listening. Um, but what kinds of questions or prompts did you give those groups to start the conversation? One prompt that really stands out for me that was, uh, put to the group was what is a local or national issue that you care deeply about and how did you come to care about that issue? And that question allowed people to, it allowed us to understand what uh, kind of the variety of perspectives we had in the room. Um, But it was inviting folks to share a personal experience or set of experiences that led to them caring about a certain issue. And I think if we had just simply asked, um, you know, here's an issue, what is your position on it or what's your perspective? I could, you know, I could see it going to a place of debate or, or sort of the tone would change from, Oh, I need to prove my, I need to prove my point. Right. I need to have some talking points ready. For this. But we really, in our invitations, in our whole framing of Make America Dinner Again, it was really much about come as you are. You don't have to do any preparation or homework ahead of time. You could if you'd like, but everything that you have to share is already in you. Um, your personal mm-hmm. experiences, you know, your observations about the world, the relationships you've had, your education, what you've learned over time, like that is that's what we hope you'll bring to these dinners. And so, yeah, that prompt, what is a a local or national issue you care about and what brought you and what led you to caring about that issue? Definitely allowed, again, people to humanize each other. And then um, when we got to the portion of the convert, you know, once each person had a chance to share, we would then open it up for people to ask follow-up questions to, um, to clarify or to build off of each other's um, responses. And so that went off and led to a great discussion. Another thing we did that I really liked was um, we invited people to stand up. This was this usually happened in the middle of the dinner, uh, middle of the evening. We'd have folks stand up and we would ask them to imagine a line or a spectrum in the room and say on one side is strongly agree on the other side is strongly disagree. And we would throw out prompts. So one of them might be like Mm -hmm. religion plays a, a major role in shaping my political views. Strongly agree, strongly disagree. You could have folks standing in the same place, strongly agree, 
but have completely different religious views, right? But what they show right. and what they have in common is that their religion shapes their view, their political views. Um, and that was, I always found that interesting because we would then, as people are standing and finding their places, we'd have folks on the kind of the more, um, on the poles or the more extreme sides of the spectrum um, share why they found themselves standing there. And we would actually see people adjust where they're standing based on what they oh, heard. It's like, oh, well, actually, yeah. you know what? I think I'm closer to that end based on. And and I, I felt like that activity then was really great uh, information and fodder for uh, the second half of our discussion for the evening. Because then people were like, you know, realizing that hearing from others uh, could just give them a new perspective on where they stood, right? And yeah. I don't know, I found that really, really insightful. Yeah, that is really interesting, sort of redefining or re, kind of refining their understanding of how they present their thinking or where they stand, literally <laughs> where they stand yeah. to, to other people. So this is, this is actually a great um, prompt for thinking about your own journey because, you know, I think, again, a lot of people would say, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, you had your day job, you did all of this. Um, I'm interested in how that changed you. And I've already sort of given a spoiler away here in that you're no longer back in that job working in marketing. You are now working at one of the um, most significant nationwide efforts to get people talking to one another, living room conversations. But how do you find yourself going from, uh, you know, where you were starting Make America Dinner again, seeing success there and then, and, and, now being full-time committed to this, like what changed, did something change, I guess, is the question in you that's, that made you say, yeah, this is what I want to do for a living. Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I think that I, I just realized the power of these types of, this type of dialogue, these types of conversations in my personal life. And I observed it in others um, all the folks who I worked with to organize conversations, folks I partnered with like yourself yep. on organizing. And I think I just realized, you know, I don't know if it was a specific moment or if it was a series of moments or something that just sort, sort of grew in me over time, but realizing that this type of work is, um, it's really translatable and really, um, you know, applicable across all different types of work, honestly, you know, it's, um, and I also felt like it was um, underfunded and, and kind of mm. easy to overlook or easy to kind of say, oh, that's a nice to have. Um, but I saw, well, actually, this, I don't think that this is a nice to have. I think that we've been neglecting these types of conversations, we've been neglecting the, the willingness or the openness to, to hear from each other. And that's actually, uh, part of, uh, you know, could be the root cause in some, in some cases for a lot of conflict and a lot of, a lot of challenges in our lives. And so I felt like, well, I, again, just this desire to be a part of a solution, um, also recognizing that it is really slow work and, um, it, you yeah. know, it's, it's work that you don't necessarily see the, the positive impacts 
on a very large scale right away. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like, yeah. well, yeah. the intimacy that we want to um, we want to foster requires that we we gather groups, small groups of people. Right. And because of that, it takes time. But I felt like it was a worthy cause. And I could also feel I just I learned so much from people. I felt really um, invigorated just from participating in conversations with people. I think I just decided, you know what, this is there's something here for me. Um, I enjoy working with other folks in this space. And it felt also like a more direct channel to people. Um, In marketing, it was a lot of capturing stories of work that had already been done. And I, it was, it was interesting for the time that I was doing it, but I felt like I wanted to be in a role that, that allowed me to connect with people a little bit more deeply and feel, um, yeah, just feel a little bit closer to the impact. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I, and I'm, I appreciate you bringing up the point about scale too, because one of the things we hear a lot is people saying, well, you know, what's one conversation, what difference is one conversation or a bunch of small conversations going to make when all, when you think about the scale of the problems that we have, how can we, how can we address those with, you know, small in-person dinners, um, you know, around the country, even if there's, you know, say thousands of people participating, it's just thousands of people and it's just one conversation. Uh, and personally having seen so many conversations that I really do think have significant impacts on people's lives, not necessarily in terms of changing people's opinions, but just in making them see someone a different way or be able to better empathize with someone I'm both sympathetic to the criticism, right? Like, well, we need a lot more of this, you know, uh, and it needs to be at a bigger scale, but also resist that a little bit because I feel like there's a way in which you can't scale some of this. It does require that back and forth, if not necessarily on a one-on-one basis, on a, on a scale where you trust people to be able to share those stories you were talking about, right? That's right. So, I mean, in your own experience and as you've made this transition, have you, have you found yourself changing your mind, uh, whether it's about policy issues, whether it's about how we do this work, whether it's about, you know, uh, how we listen to people? I mean, what, what things have you felt a change in your own opinions or position or feelings about? It's hard to say. I do feel that I have been changed. How I would describe the changes, I feel that I've my mind has expanded. My understanding of what it meant to be on the left, center, or right was much more narrow before I started Hmm. this work. It was much more, I guess, based on stereotypes or based on portrayals Hmm. in the media or stories that I maybe heard or read on Twitter or Facebook, but they were not based on actual conversations I had firsthand with people. And I think that has made a big difference. So actually hearing from people, getting to know them in as full a way as as they feel comfortable sharing has Mm -hmm. really, you know, there's just, there have been stories and there have been observations I've made about people and quirks and, and information and trivia and, you know, that I've learned about people over the past few years that had that have stuck with me 
And when I actually think about certain issues like, uh, like guns and safety and, and when I think about immigration and when I think about education and our healthcare system, there are these perspectives that I've gathered and I feel like I have several voices in my head when I'm, when I feel like I have to, when I'm making a decision, either whether it's how I vote or it's how Mm -hmm. I draw a conclusion from a story that I'm reading Mm -hmm. on a current event or news item, I feel like I, I don't jump to conclusions anymore. Yeah. Or I rarely do. I think that when I feel that impulse in me, I'm just reminded, oh, but there are at least several people I know who would read this article or would hear this piece of news and they would come to a different conclusion. Uh, or they would feel differently about the conclusion this, uh, this person is, this, um, commentator has come to, right? So it's, I just feel like, uh, it's expanded my mind. It's also through hearing, what I found is through hearing other perspectives, there are certain issues I've realized, oh, this is actually how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some issues that I've been introduced to by folks, um, I would say, for example, my views on um, capital punishment have actually mm-hmm. shifted. Um, and it wasn't until we had had a discussion about the topic on Mata's on Make America Dinner Again's online forum that I, you know, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, it actually yeah. motivated me to read some more books and articles about it. And, and by the end, I, by the kind of the end of, of that um, personal research that I had done, I had, I felt more strongly about this, you know, I, I had a, a slightly new position. And I think that those are the types of discussions that I value, but I don't necessarily think I haven't, um, I also value the, the personal stories and the getting to know people as, as I was saying yeah. before. Um I think that when I think about the past year, it has actually been a little bit less about issues and a little bit more about people's just experiences of the pandemic and experiences of uh, whether it be loss and grief or mm-hmm. isolation or curiosity mm-hmm. or even joy and excitement, you know, like uh, living room conversations. I think has done a really good job in responding to COVID uh, and responding to that shift from in-person gatherings to online. Um, And there were a couple topics that I had, um, uh, I had the the pleasure of uh, co-developing conversation guides about these topics. One of them was on uh, reflecting and transitioning uh, from Mm -hmm. COVID. And the other mm-hmm. was being Asian in the time, being Asian American in the time of COVID. And that's, you know, going back to one of your questions around what draws me to this work. Um, why, why do I feel like it's work that I could see myself doing for a long time is because I feel like a lot of this work is really just asking oneself, what are the conversations we should be having right now? What is top of mind for us that we're, th- we're all thinking about, but we're not setting aside time because we've got other things we need to do or tasks, or we also just need to, you know, take care of ourselves and take care of each other. But I, I think that 
people actually find it really refreshing and really helpful to have designated time, whether it's an hour, an hour and a half or two hours to just sit down and focus on a particular topic. When I imagine conversations I have with my friends and family, it is totally meandering. We go on tangents and that's okay. You know, that's organic. That happens. Um, But we'll, we'll get off track very, very frequently with living conversations and with, you know, Matt and and other groups, uh, you know, there is structure. It is, it is a model. There are prompts and there are, you know, time checks. And so I think that, it gives people, yeah, that structure, the, 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 the guardrails to have a productive conversation um, on the things they're already thinking about. So we really try, Living Room Conversations tries to respond to emerging, um, emerging events like COVID, like um, the, the racial reckoning that um, we experienced the past year as well. So it's yep. been, it's definitely been, um, it's been pretty cool to feel like the things that I was already thinking about, the things that were weighing on me, I could, I actually had an outlet in my work to do something about it, you know, um, yeah, and just, yeah. and so that's been pretty cool. That is cool. So uh, I want to make sure uh, I give you an opportunity to talk just a little bit about living room conversations um, and, and make America dinner is, again, is still going on. There are still people meeting a bit yeah i think things slowed slowed down significantly during the pandemic but we do we did have a facebook group that um that close to a thousand people um very active yes very active people from across the country so they were they were kind of uh continuing to have their discussion online and then would periodically have video calls um but it was about a year ago that i made the transition from Mata to living room conversations. And yeah. I still consider myself an advisor and, and volunteer for Mata. Um, but most of my attention now is on living room conversations. So I want you to talk a little bit about in, in this context. I mean, we always want to make sure that when people are listening, one, they get information, but two, they know what they can do. And, you know, if we go back a number of years, you kind of had to create from scratch your own, um, your own conversations uh, and invite strangers really into your home at living room conversations, you're providing that structure, but you're also providing the guides on these topics so that if somebody says, but not only am I inspired by, you know, Justine's story, I also agree that I need to get active in discussion with other people. But, you know, I'm not sure how to do that. I'm not going to invite people I don't know over. Um, what, how does Living Room Conversations model and what you're trying to accomplish there enable you to give someone who's sitting out there that opportunity? And in particular, I'd love it if you would talk to, because we've heard this before from people who say, well, I know it's supposed to be um, a diverse group of opinions, but I feel like I'm going to be the one person who is X. I'm going to be the only conservative. I'm going to be the only person who's a libertarian. I'm going to be the only person who believes this point of view or that point of view. And I don't want to be treated like I'm a weirdo. Mm. You know? Yeah, I understand that. My first invitation would be to um, 
have folks or to invite folks to check out our website, livingroomconversations.org, and take a look at our topics. We have guides on hundreds of topics, and they really range from some of the more emerging issues that I had mentioned, um, like being Asian American in a time of COVID or reflecting and transitioning Mm -hmm. from COVID. Um, and also some foundational topics like empathy and trust and technology and relationships. Um, I, I feel like there is something for everyone um, if you take a look. And a good place to start is just clicking on a topic that you're interested in, taking a look at our conversation guides, which really mm-hmm. lays out our model, which is uh, three rounds of conversation. Um, the first round is is getting to know each other uh, and talk, you know, speaking about one's values and what motivates people. The second round is really digging into the topic at hand. Um, and again, these are questions um, or prompts that really draw out personal experiences rather than focusing on opinion. Um, and then the third round is uh, reflection, where you kind of think back on your conversation, what um, you're going to take from it. So it's very, it's very simple. It's been time tested, and it actually works in different size groups. Ideally, it's four to six people. But if you mm-hmm. take, if you're someone who's just getting started and you and you don't know that you have four to six people in mind to have, you know, to make this conversation happen, you can have this conversation with one other person. So you can think, okay, here's a topic. What you know, maybe it's um, maybe it's energy in the environment, and there is someone you're recently talking to about energy use, and you really you heard something that that caught your attention, but you want to know more. I'm I I might encourage um, you know I might encourage you then to find um, on that conversation in that conversation guide a question that you'd like to ask that person. And maybe rather than doing a full-blown conversation, it could just be you start with that one question, see how it feels, and and then say, hey, I actually took this question from a guide, a living conversations guide, and what do you think about, you know, like have the have little conversation with them, share, and then maybe build to, would you be interested in co-hosting a conversation with me, inviting a couple friends, I'll invite a couple friends, and we can see where this goes. You know, that's one way to start, I think, by, by yeah. like testing the waters with one person that you think might be a good co-host or might just be someone you want to learn more from. Um, and then, so that's if you're thinking in your personal circles, your social circles. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you are um, interested, if you don't know anyone or you don't, you don't have anyone that comes to mind, we do have conver- public conversations uh, mm-hmm. that we um that we invite anyone to join. Um, it's first come, first serve. We so we don't do uh, we don't do vetting or curation per se. Just yep. Um, but that that could be interesting for some people. Um, I think the second part of your question was around the concern about being the only one in the room of of whatever it yeah. might be. Yep. That's challenging when you're bringing together a group that is just a public group of, of strangers. And, and it's kind of, again, with that, that's the, the difference between or the, the challenge of, of wanting to scale or wanting to organize many events. 
it becomes harder to achieve that balance of perspective yeah. across different dimensions of identity and, and, and kind of like interest. So with our public conversations, we cannot guarantee that there will be that balance. Um, mm -hmm. There have been conversations I've been a part of where, you know, one person does feel like they are representing a certain mm -hmm. set of views. What we try to do in that situation is then, you know, we try to uh, focus or broaden what we're talking about a little so that we are able to find the common thread such that one person is not feeling like they have to carry all of that or they're yeah. not isolated yeah. in that situation. Um, but when it comes to uh, when we encourage when we are training or we are guiding people and organizing their own conversations, we do encourage them to really be mindful of that. Be mindful that yeah. you know you don't want you don't want one person rep representing just one one set of views. So like if if you are looking for that conservative liberal balance having multiple conservatives, having multiple liberals. I think that another thing is sometimes just needing to acknowledge when there is that disparity, you know, just saying, being, being upfront yeah. about and saying, hey, in this conversation, we intend to have a more balanced group, but today we don't. Also, there are a lot of ways that people identify and, um, and, and being conservative or being liberal is just one of many facets of one's yeah. of one's identity uh that may be something that's top of mind for us all right now but let's try to keep keep in mind that we are more than than just the political ideology that we state for ourselves so oh yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. and so 100 percent. yeah i don't know if that's helpful but we really do try to foster uh that type of environment and all our conversation guides um go through a um, go through a review process with our guide review team that is a politically mixed but also also uh, mixed in, in other dimensions like gender and generation and nationality race and ethnicity so the language we use the the you know kind of how we frame the conversation our prompts we are aspiring to be as inclusive as possible inclusive as of as many different perspectives as possible um, so we avoid using charged language or avoid using, yeah, exactly. I see you nodding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm nodding. I am nodding. Yeah, that makes it makes really good sense. We talked to um, Alice Sue from uh, the Center for Deliberative Democracy in our last um, or one of our last episodes. And she talked about in the American in One Room experiment, the briefing book that they used, taking, removing any kind of language around policy positions that was charged, right, which enabled people to sit down and have a discussion about the issues themselves without staking out territory, right? And how important that was to, to having productive dialogue, I think. Yes. Um, so I know you're really busy and we really appreciate the time that you've given us. We will link to uh, Living Room Conversations in the show notes and specifically we'll link to pages with um, discussion guides. If people want to follow your work, uh, and living room conversations. I, I assume the website's a great place to do it. Are there other places or other things that are going on that you're excited about that you want to encourage our listeners to check out? Yes, thank you for asking. So um, I would encourage, yes, encourage people to check out our website. And then folks can also um, follow us on Twitter at Living Room Convo. Um, I'd also encourage people to um, subscribe 
to our newsletter. We do really, um, you know, conversational um, weekly notes. Um, and in those notes, we do point to our upcoming events. So I would say if you want to stay in touch, the best way is to sign up for our newsletter, um, so which you can do on our website. We'll yeah. Yeah, we can link that as well. Awesome. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. And I want to just say personally, I so appreciate your journey, your commitment to um, I, uh, one, I think putting yourself in, in, in uncomfortable positions to be able to learn. I think we often learn best when we're in an uncomfortable position, right? We have to expand, but just in the, just in being so committed to that value of expanding discussion of expanding our own thinking about different topics and better understanding one another. I think it's the kind of thing that can be a subject that people look at and say, it's just so big. And I just really appreciate the work that you've done and the work that you are doing to ensure that all kinds of people can have these sorts of conversations. So thank you for your time, but thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can check out uh, many of the things that we discussed, Living Room Conversations, Make America Dinner Again, and some of Justine's work in the show notes. Uh, we are really lucky to have had Justine with us, and she is she really is an inspiration to me in the work that she does. So I'm always learning from her. And I think in particular, in addition to the tips and kind of ideas that she described in her own work, what I will take away from this conversation is the point that Justine made about expanding our understanding. She described it as having, you know, multiple perspectives in her head. That can be hard and that can be, uh, in some cases, uncomfortable to have to, I think, tolerate when you feel really strongly about something. But I think the fact that Justine, who does feel really strongly about a lot of progressive positions, has herself found it valuable to not only engage conservative positions, but to consider conservative points of view on issues uh, around her all the time. I mean, I think that's a model that we, we can all learn from. And I'm grateful to Justine for sharing that with us. And I hope that you will find an opportunity to think about how to do more of that in your own consideration of topics in the news and in conversations with people in your life, and even with strangers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation and you enjoy the podcast, I hope you will take a minute to rate and review the podcast wherever you receive it. That will help engage more people in the conversation that we hope to start. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.